MC. God, we just thank you so much for Gordy Lagore. We just thank you for his heart, for how he speaks to us, for how you speak through him, for how we can listen and just, again, turn off those distractions. And we just ask you that as we listen and learn today, that we just take everything to heart and to practice so that when we walk out these doors, we can just take that next step forward in being a better figure of who you are and who you want us to be. And that we're so thankful for the leadership in our church and just the impact that they make on us day to day. So just thank you again, God, for Gordy. Thank you for today. And thank you for the words that you've given him to share with us. Amen. Thank you, Kim. Well, good morning. Happy spring break to you. Spring did arrive, just so you know, this week. So we're going to conclude our series that we began in September on the Sermon on the Mount. Today, we're calling it the finale, but we can't sing the A word until next Sunday. But that's okay. When, I, uh, when a champion goes home, then we're allowed to, right? Um, so if you're just joining us, and I don't see a lot of new faces today, but there may be a few of you who are just joining us. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount series on, uh, called it the Alternative Society. And we've been arguing that Jesus uh, basically gave the syllabus, the, the summary of all of his teaching in these three chapters from Matthew. It's like a course syllabus of the discipleship training program for Jesus. And... Uh, in this syllabus, he stated his course objectives, as all good syllabi do. Uh, and that course objective, of course, was that we, we would be salt and light to, to the world. And as a result of that, people would worship God, who otherwise don't worship God. So the successful completion of his discipleship school would do that. And uh, in, in this particular text that we're going to look at today, Jesus concludes his syllabi, his syllabus, not syllabi, syllabus, on the Sermon on, the, in, on his discipleship teaching. And um, for about 10 years, we've been living at 2143 Venables Street, and uh, there's been this little old lady that lived next door to us for a few years, and then she got too unwell and ended up being in a home. And, and the house sat vacant for a long, long time. Very old house. She's, she, she was, last time I talked to her, she was in her 80s, and, and she'd lived right in that neighborhood, mostly in that house. It's amazing. You don't meet a lot of people like that in Vancouver. And uh, so I, I met her family and her, her uh, nephew, and, and they kind of took on the, the property, and, and it sat vacant for years and years, and recently they sold it to the neighbors that are kind of next to them on the other side of the house, and, and I kind of went, oh no, here comes the construction, right? But it was kind of therapeutic for me, because my dad... All my childhood years was always building. <laughs> so as I heard the nails and the, you know, bang and the saws, it kind of gave me the warm fuzzies um, uh, to some degree, to a limit. <laughs> but uh, I remember when they started the project, it was, um, there were some massive trees and my heart broke as they came in with a big caterpillar and ripped the trees out and 
and uh, the roots were spreading five miles away on some of these trees, it felt like. And I, I was worried they'd rip our house up as they were pulling that tree out. And, uh, and then, as, was the, as, was, as is often the custom, you'll know on construction projects, they dug this big hole in the ground, and all you saw for what seemed like weeks and weeks and, and maybe even months was just this pile of dirt and mud and, being Vancouver, mud puddles and, and, and just a mess, you know. And I remember with my dad, when he would start a new construction project, he built a couple of houses that we built, that we lived in growing up. He built a couple of the churches that I worshipped in growing up. And whenever he'd go to start something, the same thing would happen. It was, you know, I, I, was, I was waiting for the exciting stuff. You know, let's get this house going. And, uh, but before they went up, they went down. And they dug this hole in the ground. And, and he'd bring in, and I'd say, Dad, why are you building a sidewalk down in the bottom of the house? So that's not a sidewalk, son. That's a foundation. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so he'd, he'd, put, he'd put the forms in. He, he did it all himself. Amazing. Still does these things almost, almost all of these things. And uh, put the rebar in and then poured the cement. And it just seemed like I was waiting forever for my bedroom to come along. You know, where I was going to hang out with all my psychedelic posters. <laughs> the 70s, man. Black and white. Right? And so uh, it, it took a long, long time. So I, I start this because I want to talk about foundations for our life. And that's how Jesus ends this sermon. Interestingly, he, he ends his syllabus on foundations. And if you feel like that house that looks more like a mess than a house right now, if you feel like those piles of dirt and mud puddles and just chaos... Be of good cheer. God's probably working on the foundation in your life. And I want to talk about that today. And, and I want to, I want to uh, make an honorary tribute. Uh, I want to dedicate this sermon to this man. Because I believe that he embodies a wise builder. And we celebrated Don's life and, and, uh, at his memorial on Friday. Wonderful three-hour, at least, memorial. <laughs> and there wasn't a dull second in the whole thing. It was so exciting. And I thought, what a way to go. And, and of course, he's very dear to Wade and Joe and their family and to Matt and Sandra. And I don't know if anyone else here really knew him that well. But I knew him well. Well, not as well as them, but... He used to invite me to play racquetball, and I needed inner healing from that, because he would kick my butt. <laughs> no mercy, no mercy. And uh, I got to tell you one quick story. Do I have time to do this? Yeah. My last time with Don was standing at the corner where you guys used to live, just right, and I think I can't, it wasn't that long ago, it doesn't seem that long ago, but... But he, he and I are talking about the kingdom of God. And I wrote his wife, Gwen, this, and she, she loved it. Uh, and we're, we're talking about the kingdom. Of, and he was always such an encourager. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know him for time and time spent that well. But at every time I spent with him, I felt like uh, I felt so encouraged. I felt so resourced. I felt so like I belonged doing what I'm doing for the kingdom of God right now, where I am, that God had sent me. I just, he always left me feeling that way. Just so legitimized, I guess, is, is, is how it felt. And so we're going, and all of a sudden, he looks over my shoulder, and he says, look at that beautiful woman. Like that. And I was, just, I was so shocked by that, that I can't even remember her. I mean, I did look, but I was thinking, here's this man of God, this wonderful godly man, so alive, but yet able to enjoy beauty without objectifying women. He, he was, he's 10 years older than me, and just celebrating the beauty of life, and, and, and that's, that was Don. He was just so full of 
full of, of God in, in a naturally supernatural way. And so we, I, I, I've been talking to him this week, and for those of you that have a theological problem with that, uh, read Hebrews 12 and about the communion of saints that we have come to the heavenly Jerusalem to the spirits of just people made perfect. So I don't make a practice of praying to saints, but once in a while I talk to them and just in case they can't hear me, I ask the Father to talk to them for me. Uh, that works too. So I love you, Don. Miss you. And we're hurting, but we know you're celebrating. So let's, let's read our text. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, streams arose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowd was amazed. The, the, he, the Greek word there is literally shocked and astounded and left speechless at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. In Jesus' closing words of his Sermon on the Mount, he summarizes it by spelling out that there are two kinds of people. And yet, in many ways, they're very similar. Yet there are critical differences. They're similar in that they both hear and know the teachings of Jesus. But they're different in that one puts those teachings into practice while the others don't. They're similar in that they both are people who build houses. But they're different in that one builds on a foundation of rock and the other on a foundation of, of sand. They're both the same in that they both encounter a storm. Same wind, same rain, same flood. But they're different in that the storm has a different impact. One, their house stands firm, and the other, the house is destroyed. Now, for those of you that have heard me do wedding ceremonies, know that I always introduce this in every ceremony. I always talk about the, I, t I look at the couple in the eye. Of course, they don't hear a thing I say. That's all right. I mean, they, little, you know, months later, what did you say? And then even, even more concerning is, what did we say? <laughs> um, and... Um, I say to them, Jesus is promising something, and there's something he's not promising. He's not promising there'll be no storms. He's not promising that. But he is promising that if you build your life on his words, then the storms will not destroy your marriage. There will be, there will be storms, and so that's true not only of marriage, but of our lives. Now, the fact of the matter is, is we've all been given a life to live. And that life has a context. We came from a family background. We, we have a, a, a genetic code. We have a personality. We have gifts. We have opportunities or lack thereof. And we may like or not like the life we've been given. Have you ever talked to somebody and say, I didn't ask to be born? fact of the matter is, whether we like it or not, we've all been given a life. And to quote one of my spirit, favorite spiritual directors, Gandalf, when Frodo is lamenting these words, when he's been given the ring and all these, these terrible things have happened, and Frodo says to Gandalf, I wish none of this had happened, Gandalf says in these wonderful words that we've all heard, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us.
And when we consider how high the stakes are, that can be frightening. That can be a frightening decision that we have to make. But rather than Jesus intending that this passage be terrifying for us, he, I believe he was offering it as comfort. I believe he was offering it as hope. I believe that he was saying, listen, you are not alone in this. You're not alone in trying to decide what you're going to do with the life that you've been given and the time you've been given. There's a shepherd. There's a comforter. There's a companion. There's a guide. And there's my words and my book. I've given you a foundation and a rock on which to build your life. Whew, getting excited. And, uh, and so he's left us instructions that we are not alone. And he starts this passage by saying, Therefore, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And this word, therefore, caught my eye because it's a very strong word. Now, we've all heard the cliche when you see therefore, you always look back to see what it's there for, right? As Edwin says, read the next verse, read the previous verse. So, but this word for therefore is so strong in the Greek that you cannot ignore what came before it if you're really going to understand this text. Because the word therefore means literally to to join the dots. In other words, to pull all of this together, to join the dots, to make sense of everything. Well, what has Jesus just said? He said not, and Alec talked about this last Sunday, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, it seems to me that when Jesus uses the word therefore and then he moves on to our text for today, there's a joining of the dots where the ones who heard his words and didn't do them, follow me here, the ones who heard his words and didn't do them in our text, And the ones who built their house on a foundation of sand are the same ones here who said, Lord, Lord, but don't, he didn't know them and didn't do the will of his father. In other words, the ones who build their foundation on sand have two identifiable problems. Number one, they do not do the will of the father. And number two, he doesn't know them. Now, I want to talk about the will of the father a little bit later, but for the, this, how can God the Son, who is omniscient, who knows the number of hairs on your head, the number of cells in your body, who knows everything about you, who knows you better than you know yourself, how can that God say, I don't know you? It tells us something about what God is like. It tells us that he's not some all-powerful, all-knowing patriarch over the universe. It tells us that at the heart of God is relationship. In other words, Jesus Christ, the omniscient Son of God, even though he knows that person that stands in front of them and every detail of their life because there is no relationship. He says, I don't know you. I'm a relational God and I only value knowledge to the degree it's accompanied by love. Knowledge without love is nothing, Paul said. But this raises problems for me. And it has raised problems for me. Because the ones who hear do not practice. The ones who build on sand 
are the ones who do not do the will of the Father and that Jesus doesn't know them. I think, I think it's getting a bit heavy in here. We needed to kind of lighten it up a little bit. Right? It's okay, honey. I love you. <laughs> She's just helping me in every way possible. <laughs> but it raises problems. And here's the problem. I thought our salvation was by faith. Not by what we do. I thought that it was totally dependent on the grace of God and not on my performance. And a few years ago, most of you have heard my story. You see, this passage troubles me. Like Alec mentioned last week, it troubles me too. It troubles me. But there were a number of years in my life where it didn't just trouble me. It tormented me. Because I had suffered a mental illness and a a nervous breakdown, was needing medication even to survive. For two years, I believed I'd committed the unpardonable sin. And it was hard enough for me to handle all the condemnation scriptures in the Old Testament. But because this was the New Testament, it was even harder. Because the New Testament was supposed to be about grace. It was supposed to be about the New Covenant. It was no longer about performance and trying to to be good enough to get God's graces. But again, Jesus seems to be bringing us back to the same dilemma. And so, all of of those two years, I, I would try to be good. I would pray. I would give to the poor. I would do all the things that a Christian is supposed to do. That To do the things that Jesus said to do. Because I want to make sure that I'm not one of those. That he says, go away. He didn't do my father's will. And I never was sure if I'd done enough. I was never sure if I'd crossed the line from the bad crowd to the good crowd. How was I to know? What was my assurance in this? Well, it's important to get perspective that first of all, I think it was important for Jesus to say this for one reason and one reason alone. He wanted to forever remove any, de- any deception that uh, following him is about knowledge alone, about knowing stuff. Smart people are a dime a dozen. The real issue is, have you loved? Have you loved? Have you loved? He had to leave these words, but it leaves us susceptible to legalism, to a false gospel. Yet we cannot ignore these words. We cannot just push them under our evangelical gospel carpet. We need to allow these words to confront us. But I was left in a place where I was paralyzed from even trying anymore. So what do we do with it? Well, for the next few minutes, I want to wrap, I want to move towards the end of our series by by wrestling with this. I think it's important because this is about foundations. This is about foundations. So again, he tells us that there's two kinds of lives. There are those who hear the word of God and they practice it. Specifically, he says, those who hear these sayings of mine. He's not just saying the word in general, but he's specifically talking about what he's just said, what he's just talked about. And secondly, there are those who hear, who know all the right things, but they don't practice it. There are two kinds of builders in houses. There's wise builders who build their foundation on the rock. And that word rock is the same word Petra, where Jesus said to Peter, and on this rock, Petra, 
I will build my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Same root word, Paul. Petra. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But that word rock is not a boulder. That word rock is not a, a giant rock that lives independent. That rock is an immobile rock, that, pet, that word Petra. It means it's like a cliff. It's like attached to earth and solid ground. On this rock, they build their foundation. Notice they don't say, he doesn't say, build the foundation. Kathleen was praying for me last night because I was still troubled about this stuff. Last night, still troubled, disturbed in my heart. Like it's, I still, you always walk with a limp, right? I'm like the guy in the, in the movie, The Beautiful Mind. Those guys, they don't control me anymore, but they're still there, right? And I have to be aware of them. And last night, those guys were talking loud. And Kathleen was praying for me and I was almost asleep and all of a sudden she said some words that just broke through the darkness. And she said these words. The foundation is already there. You don't build the foundation. It's already there. You build on it. Right? So, wise builders build foundation on the rock. Foolish builders, they pick the wrong foundation. And then the, the brosh comes, the Greek word, heavy rain comes down in torrents. The streams, dry stream beds, and, and those that live in the Holy Land know, and there's parts of the U.S. and Canada that are like this too, where the, the, the dry hills and form these little valleys that all of a sudden flash floods rise up and boom! You get this torrential flood, and then the winds come, and they, he said they beat on the house, and they, they slammed it. Just like that. And if the house was on a rock, it stood firm. If it was on sand, it was washed away. This was a very common sight for the people in Israel. His audience, they'd seen that a lot. But the question I ask you is this. Why would a man be so dumb to build on sand? Why? Huh? Find? Looks easy in the moment? Huh? He likes beachfront property? That's good. I like that one. No knowledge. No knowledge. Yeah. I think all of those are true. I think, in summary, the building on sand was a lot easier and a lot faster. You didn't need a long obedience in the same direction. Just quick fixes. And that's what we want today. It's quick disciples, easy answers. We're an instant society. We got technology. Let's get it done. Let's do it now. Anything that takes time, effort, patience, perseverance. Must not be God. Anything that takes suffering must not be God. Anything that takes endurance must not be God. Now, as you know, we used to go to Switzerland a lot, and we don't go so much anymore, for good reason. But in Switzerland, they have interesting houses. This is at a place called Morschach, uh, which is overlooking over Lake Luzerne. And there's a, there's a kind of a hotel that, as I did my morning prayer walk, I noticed... And you can see it kind of from one angle. I'm going to show you the other angle. Look how they built this thing. And this is a very common sight in Switzerland. They don't care about how dangerous the place is. You know, how many know if you're going to go out for a morning walk, you might want to be careful when you went out the front door. Could be an interesting day for you. But it's, it's safe because of the foundation, Right? crazy, but it's safe because it's founded. In this same, I took a shot the opposite direction. This is overlooking Lake Luzerne. And at, you can see the Swiss, they don't care where they build as long as there's a good foundation. 
These houses here, let me just use my pointer, are right at the top. See that? Those are houses. And they build them right up, right up to the top, top of mountains. Oh, Switzerland. I love Switzerland. Speak Swiss German. Okay. So I want to sh- I want to pull this together by asking, what is the link then? Because there's the people that hear only, and the people that hear and practice the words of Jesus. Because it feels like there's something missing. There's a disconnect. And when you read the rest of the Gospels, you begin to find that what that link is, but... In the Luke version of this same passage, his was the Sermon on the Prairie, for those of you from Edmonton and Calgary. It's the parallel to the Sermon on the Mount, the parallel passage, but he says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. Now, there's a... There's a critical link between hearing and doing that we find in this passage that you don't... I I think it's inferred in the Matthew passage, but it's here. There's a phrase that we don't see in Matthew that's here. What is it? Can Can you tell me what it is? That That's true on the on the metaphor. That's right. But on the... Uh, and I think it's related to, to the earlier part. Verse 47. There's a, there's a little phrase there that he adds that's not in the Matthew passage. Comes to me. Isn't that interesting? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words... Now, why is that so important? Well, look at the negative part of it now. He says, but the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. What's missing in the negative? Comes to me. There's no comes to me there. In other words, well, well, let me me put it this way. Let me ask it in the form of a question. Why in the world would people hear his words and not come to him? I'm not sure. (laughs) I don't know. Except that Jesus says it happens. And I'm sure it happens to us too. He said to the Pharisees in John, you study the Scriptures diligently, but you refuse to come to me. You study these Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So why? Why would they not come to him? They loved the Bible. They loved knowledge. They loved all their theological degrees. But they prided themselves in how much they knew and in their exterior acts of righteousness and keeping the law but they weren't interested in a relationship and intimacy with God. Jesus said they didn't know the Father. So they were finding their significance, their foundation of their life, their security in their performance rather than in their relationship with God. 
And as a result, they were heaping heavy burdens on others because a religious person is not only a miserable misery to themselves, they create misery for other people and they are full of shoulds and oughts and this and that. And as my predecessor here at the vineyard used to say, don't should on me. Don't shoot on me. <clears throat> well, every time, that's why every time I get an email that says that if I don't pass it on, I'm a turkey, yeah. <laughs> I delete it. I go, don't shoot on me. I don't live that way. And these Pharisees, it was all about I. I fast. I tithe. Remember the guy that was praying next to the publican? I'm, the, I'm not wicked like this turkey over here, right? And Jesus said the publican couldn't even look up. And he said, oh God, he, he smote his chest and said, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But what is Jesus' words to us? Whether you're a religious hypocrite, always trying to do religious things and impress who knows who. What if... You're a person who's broken, knows you can never measure up, or maybe you're very, very skilled and, and excel, but you still feel the heavy burden. Jesus says these words, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wait a minute, Gordy, I thought it was a hard road. You said a few weeks ago that it's a narrow road and it's a, it's a difficult gate. How come it's easy now? Well, it's still a yoke. You know what a yoke is? It's what, a harness that they used to put on the ox. So it would pull a burden and plow the field. So Jesus says, I have a yoke for you, a harness. You know what that is? Your calling, your destiny, your life to become like me. But it's a good yoke. It's a good fit. It's you. Because discipleship is not you trying to methodically or woodenly try to follow a set of rules and formulas. As Dallas Willard said, discipleship is being mentored by Jesus where he teaches you to live your life in a way, in such a way, if he were you, not Billy Graham, not Mother Teresa. You don't even have to be me. Hallelujah. <laughs> I stopped it. Yeah. I just said hell. That's all I said. <laughs> I want to mentor you to live your life in such a way. Jesus comes to you. He says, I'm not a cookie-gutter cutter God. I'm not a cookie-gutter gutter, cutter, discipleship maker. I've been teaching Sue how to do that. All right? Um, <laughs> The first thing you do when you come to Jesus is you give up any right to find acceptance by God, by your own performance or by your own righteousness. You lay that burden down and he says to you in exchange for your filthy rags of performance and sweat and trying to be pleasing to God, I will give you my unconditional love and grace and acceptance and holiness. First thing you lay down, you lay it down. Every day, I lay that down. Every day, every day I come before God. I get on my face, or either figuratively or physically or literally, and I get before God and I say the same prayer of that publican at the very beginning as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. So walk in him, Lord, I am poor in spirit. I have no righteousness except your righteousness. And so some ways the prodding and the spurring and the, the goading of this passage, it's good for me because it reminds me I am crushed. I am broken. I have no performance. But by His grace, there's no good thing that will come out of my life except by His grace because without Him, I can do nothing. can do anything.
So, that's the paradox of the Christian life. Because only after you've found acceptance with God completely through His grace and unconditional love can you begin to walk in true obedience. It's no longer your righteousness. As Paul said, it is God who works in you both to give you the desire and the ability to do His will. Therefore, work out your own salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But then he goes on to say, but you are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. See, the new covenant is where God says no longer will you have a law that you have to externally follow with formulas, but my Spirit will move you and write my law and my my commands on your heart and give you the desire Change you from the inside out through relationship, through intimacy. God isn't interested in your rule keeping. He's not interested in your performance. He's interested in your love, your faith, your obedience to Him, your relationship with Him, your intimacy, opening your heart. I want to know you, He said. I want to know you. Who are you? Talk to me. Can I yell a little bit? Edmund, my mentor. All right. So, that's why the hymn writer put the well-known hymn this way. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When all the powers of hell tell you that you're not good enough, you're not, you haven't done enough, Calvary has removed all claim of evil over your life. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils His lovely face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, His covenant, His blood supports me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. And then I love this one. When He shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Sing it if you know it. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground. So, Gordy, what is the will of the Father? Those who do the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Are you ready for it? For those God foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. Which caused Paul to say, my goal is consistent with God's goal. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection. Participation in His sufferings. Becoming like Him in His death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Wow. Not that I've already obtained all this. Or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. We got some pretty goal-oriented people. We got some great people in this church. Jessica and me, in a couple weeks, we're going to get our masters. We've been working on that for a long time. But you know what? That goal that we've had is subservient to a higher goal. Because Regent College says you can have all the knowledge you want, but if you suck in loving your husband or your wife... If you're not a, a loving person, it's worth nothing. It's about being like 
Jesus. That's our goal. But it, the exciting part is, is it's not a cookie cutter thing. It's just letting Him mentor you to live your life if He were you, in a way. So the conclusion of our series is, if Corey, if I could get you guys to come and just get ready to lead us in some more worship. Doing the hard work of cultivating a lifelong relationship with God through Jesus. See, that it's hard work. It is still hard work. Relating to God is hard work. You have to find a yoke for your life. You have to find a discipline and an ascesis, a, a way to create space to, to cultivate that intimacy with God. Get to know Him. And it's evidenced by becoming more and more like Jesus through the power of the Spirit. See the Trinity's in there. Who lives in us. This builds a foundation, and I worded that wrong. It should say this. This builds on a firm foundation that endures the storms of life and lasts for eternity. So maybe you're like me. Maybe you're not. Maybe these verses... Our text today and the ones from last week that Alec read, maybe they don't bother you like they bother me. They still bother me. They do. And maybe they're going to bother me till the day I die. I don't know. But maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe because I'm not tormented anymore. God, the Bible says fear is torment. I don't, I'm not tormented, but they bother me. Maybe more like a, a cowboy riding. Maybe I got some Albertan in me still, but it's like a cowboy riding that horse and he's got to kick the side of the horse. Come on, let's go. And so maybe those kind of, those spiritually are what I feel a little bit when I read not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. It spurs me to not take my salvation lightly. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How shall we escape if we take the opportunities that we have now? The technology, the internet, the world connections, the six removed. How shall we escape if we take these opportunities lightly? We didn't choose these times. They were given to us. So as you reflect on the syllabus, where is Jesus inviting you to come to him? to rest from your weariness and take on his yoke. We talked about relationships and reconciliation and the alternative society. We talked about sexuality, God's alternative to the world's objectification and lust. We talked about retaliation and revenge and God's alternative of forgiveness and reconciliation. Loving your enemies. Who is your audience? Who are you doing this for? Where's your security? Is it in money? Or is it in Christ? In prayer and judging. That's our syllabus. We've just gone through it six, seven months. As we worship, reflect on these things. Holy Spirit, I invite you to just come. Search our hearts, Lord, and show us, Lord, where there's foundation damage, where maybe not damage, it just needs more work. Lord, where, where we just need to build our lives more squarely on you and not on sand. Come, Lord. Uh, it is so fitting that you um, dedicated this sermon to Don Newfeld. As Gordy's mentioned many times in the past few weeks, it's very precious to us. And um, the last time that our family went to visit him, we went to say goodbye. And we went to receive a blessing from him. And um, my dear friend, Heather, said, I'm just trying in my life to be more obedient. And I really feel like I'm supposed to send them a song. And if I sing them a song and I email it to you, will you take it and will you play it to them? And it was on Christ's solid rock I stand. And I took it to them and I held my phone out. And Don listened. He couldn't move. He could only move one hand by that point, but his eyes were all there. And Gwen held him. And when it got to the line about, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, she hugged him and kissed him and said, 
I've trusted you. I've trusted your sweetest frame. But I wholly lean on, on Jesus' name. And um, at his memorial, Matt's wife, Sandra, talked about how the reaction that she had to Don was that the first time she saw him, she thought, I want this guy to approve of me. And I really relate to that because I spent a long time in my life being the type of person that just wanted to be approved of. I just wanted to be approved of. I wanted people to just tell me I was doing a good job. And Dawn and Gwen had a beautiful tradition that every New Year's Eve they would sit and ask God for a letter for each other for their friends who were there with them, that God would write a letter on New Year's Eve about the year to come. And Gwen told me about this tradition many times, but we only got to do it once, and for some reason, Don drew my name. (laughs) And that night, he sat and wrote a letter to me from God. And it essentially said, you need to stop trying to get an A in this class because the Father's already given you an A+. (laughs) Like, you've got, you totally have this nailed, and, and you are so approved of. And, um, you know, I just, it's, it's such a, a fitting tribute to him that you finished this way and that, that you've offered this thing because he lived all those things that you talked about. But, but just that, you know, that song that Corey and Terry Ann chose today about resting in God's promises, resting and trusting that what he really wants is to know us. And that's a revelation for me today. I always felt like I needed to do more quiet time because I was supposed to know him. But I don't know why I never heard until today that part of the t- reason that he wants intimacy with us is because he wants to know me. He wants me to tell him all that stuff about me. He wants to know me more. And so, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Joanna. Wow. I had no idea about the song. That's awesome. I know you didn't. So, Lord, yeah. we offer this to you. And, and, Lord, we just feel it's so appropriate that we end in worship as we started. And, and uh, so I bless this congregation with grace and peace to, to come to Jesus, to receive his grace, to know him, to become like him, to come in your brokenness, to come as you are, knowing that in his presence he will change you he will mold you in his way in his time the way he created you to be so if you if you have to get your kids uh, please feel free to do so but I encourage you to come back and uh, let's just continue to worship and I'm going to formally if you have to leave uh, you're, you're certainly blessed to go but I just encourage us. I just sense that we need to just wait in his presence. And I just sense foundation coming. He's just bringing foundation and shoring us up and build, building our lives where. So, grace and peace.